Okay, so now we're going to talk about the 1960s and the Vietnam War. So we're going to start off with the election of 1960. Now, there were two main nominees, and that was uh, Richard Nixon. Now, he was the vice president, and he was the Republican uh, nomination. And then you had the Democrats who nominated a senator named John F. Kennedy. So Nixon was one of the most active vice presidents in U.S. history, and he traveled throughout the world as a troubleshooter in various capacities, while JFK um, had Lyndon B. Johnson, who was the Senate Majority Leader, as his running mate, and which, I mean, obviously you know that because he took over after the assassination. Anyway, uh, during his acceptance speech, Kennedy called upon American people for sacrifices to achieve their potential greatness, and he called it the New Frontier. Now, in the campaign, now both candidates were strongly anti-communist, which would be in their favor considering, you know, the 1960s, we're in the Cold War, uh, you know, we've got the, the Red Scare and all that going on. Uh, Kennedy's Catholicism is going to become an issue until he told a group of uh, Protestant ministers that he accepted separation of church and state and that Catholic leaders would not unduly influence him. Now, this is going to be a first, the televised debates. This is the first time that there's going to be a presidential debate that's going to be on national television. This is going to determine the fate of the election. The first debate was the most important, and there were going to be three more after that. Those listening on the radio gave the edge to Nixon, but those watching TV gave the edge to Kennedy. Kennedy earned the support of African Americans when he arranged to have Martin Luther King Jr. released from a Georgia jail for having been involved in a protest, which, you know, is First Amendment right. Now, as a result of this campaign, uh, Kennedy is going to defeat Nixon by slightly over 100,000 popular votes and then 303 to 219 in Electoral College. This is going to be the closest popular vote in U.S. history and the difference of less than a tenth of one percent, just to kind of tell you how close this was. Kennedy was the only Catholic president in U.S. history and the youngest to be elected at age 43. Uh, Democrats won both houses in Congress, but lost a few seats. In his inaugural speech, he asked not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's where that famous line came from, is Kennedy. Now, his domestic policy. We're going to start with his legislative failures. Uh, JFK was unable to get much through Congress, and this is going to be due to the resistance from Republicans and the conservative Southern Democrats. This conservative coalition that had ended the New Deal in 1938 and had prevented Truman's fair deal from taking hold is going to block any significant liberal measures from Kennedy. Lyndon, uh, Lyndon Johnson would later get these measures passed, like the, uh, the civil rights legislation after JFK was assassinated. The space race. Now, Kennedy promoted a $24 billion project to land an American on the moon. In 1969, the Apollo 11 mission is going to transport three American astronauts successfully to the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin will become the first humans to walk the moon. And so, obviously, the U.S. is going to win the space race. Now, the civil rights movement. Now, JFK is going to do little during his first two years regarding civil rights. He tried to avoid losing either the white or the black Southern vote. Most civil rights initiatives were basically just symbolic. Uh, the Attorney General uh, Robert F. Kennedy's attempts at enfranchisement in the South were very unsuccessful. Only a small percentage of blacks were registered due to the literacy tests, the poll taxes, uh, the white primaries, and the grandfather clauses. 
because all of these were still legal. Uh, white segregationists wreaked terror on the, stu the Student Nonviolent Coordinate Coordinating Committee, or the SNCC, through church bombings and assaults on blacks. While Kennedy was initially able to satisfy both sides of the issue, the rise of civil rights militants are going to force his hand. Now, these civil rights militants, so you've got the Freedom Riders, and they were organized by the core, and that's the Congress of Racial <clears throat> Sorry, this is the Congress of Racial Equality. Now, in May of 1961, they rode interstate buses to verify that segregation wasn't happening. In Alabama, Freedom Riders were arrested by police, state troopers, and the National Guard, and some were severely beaten by the KKK. More Freedom Riders would continue coming all summer. Uh, Attorney General Kennedy is going to petition the Interstate Commerce of the ICC to issue a ruling against segregation of interstate facilities, and he's going to send 400 marshals to protect the Freedom Riders. The ICC made the announcement in September of 61, and Corps was victorious. James Meredith, who was a veteran, is going to demand to be enrolled in the University of Mississippi in 1962. So in September of that year, JFK had sent the U.S. Army to enforce a court order to enroll Meredith at Ole Miss after riots broke out. Kennedy was losing control of the segregation issue, which is obvious. Now there's going to be a showdown in Birmingham, Alabama. In 63, Birmingham is going to close parks, playgrounds, swimming pools, and golf courses to avoid desegregation. That just seems like pe these people are going to a lot of trouble just because they just don't want to, you know, be around other folks. But anyways, Martin Luther King Jr. is going to choose Birmingham as a target for desegregation because it was the toughest challenge and a victory would break segregation throughout the South. Uh, MLK and his supporters were arrested on Good Friday for marching without a permit and spent two weeks in jail after his release. King began using black school children in demonstrations. Police Commissioner Eugene Bull Connor is going to use cattle prods and order police dogs on demonstrations and use fire hoses on children as the world obviously watched in horror and had to be going, what are you doing, America? Uh, public pressure is going to mount for some kind of civil rights legislation. The local business leaders are going to give in and they're going to agree to desegregate the big department stores so King will call off the demonstration. Now, shortly after, King's motel was bombed and his brother's home as well. After rioting erupted, JFK decided to side with King. Kennedy is going to continue to pursue civil rights. So you have the integration of the University of Alabama. In June of 63, JFK is going to federalize the Alabama National Guard to enforce a court order requiring the admission of two blacks, James Hood and Vivian Malone. Governor George Wallace is going to symbolically stand in the doorway protesting that states' rights were being violated. Earlier, he had said in his inaugural speech, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. So you can kind of see where he wants things. Anyway, that night, Medgar Evans, the NAACP director in Mississippi, was assassinated in retaliation for the University of Alabama issue. People are taking it way too seriously. In in response, JFK is going to announce he would send to Congress a civil rights bill. The bill would crush segregation, outlaw discrimination in elections, and give the Justice Department authority to enforce school integration. Now, by the time JFK was assassinated, his civil rights bill was moving towards passage in the House. The March on Washington, this is going to happen in August of 1963 on the 28th, and it's going to be led by Martin Luther King Jr. This is going to be the largest protest in the nation's history to that point of 200,000 people. It's going to be organized in part by A. Philip Randolph, who had started the march on Washington 
movement during World War II. Protesters are going to demand passage of Kennedy's civil rights bill and for more and better jobs. The event was climaxed with King's I Have a Dream speech. All right, Kennedy and the Cold War. So we'll start with his flexible response. Kennedy is going to seek conventional military strategies to deal with thorny local challenges around the world. Uh, Khrushchev, and that's K-H-R-U-S-H-C-H-E-V, is going to pledge to back wars of liberation in third world countries. Kennedy is going to order a buildup of conventional armed forces to fight localized wars in the third world. This was a shift away from Eisenhower's heavy reliance on nuclear weapons. He's going to set up the Green Berets, which is an elite commando force. He's also going to build up the nuclear arsenal for a second strike capability. The Bay of Pigs invasion. Every time I say that, I think, you know, we didn't start the the fire, Billy Joe. After you listen to this, if you come in singing it, I will give you bonus to let me know that you listen to my podcast. Yay. Anyway, in early 1960, Eisenhower is going to authorize the CIA to organize, train, and arm in Central America a brigade of 1,400 Cuban exiles for an invasion of Cuba to overthrow communist leader Fidel Castro. Sorry. Anyway. roller color wars i can't take it anymore and i hope this is stuck in your head now all right so the invasion would presumably trigger a popular uprising in cuba and jfk would continue the plan when the ca pledged it would work in april of 61 the bay of pigs invasion is going to fail miserably kennedy had decided against direct u.s intervention as he did not want to spark an international diplomatic crisis because that's just a bad idea uh 1,189 men were captured, 400 were killed, and only 14 exiles were rescued. Kennedy publicly took full responsibility on national television for the ill-conceived mission. Privately, Kennedy blamed the CIA for faulty information. Now, the significance of this is the incident brought the USSR and Cuba closer together in planning for the defense of a future U.S. invasion. Operation Mongoose. This is going to be from 61 to 62. The CIA planned to overthrow and assassinate Fidel Castro, and it ultimately failed and was abandoned after the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Peace Corps. This is one of Kennedy's most popular programs, and it was established in 61. It sent young volunteers, so doctors, lawyers, and engineers, to third world countries for locally sponsored projects in order to improve economic stagnation, poor health, and education. It was an alternative to the military containment of communism. Now, by 1966, there's going to be about 15,000 volunteers that will serve in 46 countries. Alliance for Progress. In 61, the U.S. gave $20 billion in aid to Latin America, and that was the Latin American Marshall Plan. The primary goal was to help Latin American countries choose, or sorry, close the gap between rich and poor and quiet communist sympathies. The result has had, had little positive impact on Latin America's social problems. The Berlin Wall, 61. So from 49 to 61, there's going to be thousands of East Germans will flee to West Berlin. After Khrushchev delivered a new ultimatum on Berlin, he's going to, after seeing U.S. weakness in the Bay of Pigs fiasco, the USSR would give Berlin to East Germany and strip Western access to Berlin. Kennedy is going to proclaim the U.S. would not abandon West Berlin. In August of 61, East Germany built a wall separating West Berlin from the rest of Berlin and East Germany almost overnight. Now, the purpose was to stem the flow of people escaping from East Berlin. Tensions are going to ease as a refugee problem was solved. Air and land routes to West Berlin were kept open, and the wall would remain intact until November of 1989. I was six, just to put that in perspective. Anyway, 
The Cuban Missile Crisis of 62. This is going to be in October. Uh, Khrushchev is going to begin placing nuclear weapons in Cuba, just 90 miles off the Florida coast. And the Soviets are going to intend to use the weapons to force the U.S. into backing down on Berlin, Cuba, and other troubled areas. Only Pacific Northwest was out of the range of Soviet missiles. October 14th, U.S. aerial photographs are going to reveal Russians were secretly and speedily installing nuclear missiles. There's going to be a warning of a missile strike or missile missile attack would strike from 30 to 2 minutes. The USSR also had nuclear cruise missiles to destroy the U.S. Navy. On October 22nd, JFK ordered a naval quarantine of Cuba and demanded immediate removal of Soviet missiles from Cuba. Kennedy also stated any attack by Cuba on the U.S. or any other Latin American country would result in a full retaliatory response against the Soviet Union. The Organization of American States gave Kennedy full support. Kennedy rejected surgical bombing strikes against missile sites since no guarantee existed that all missiles would be hit. He also rejected the U.S. invasion of Cuba. Main, uh, many in the cabinet and the military favored this option. Unbeknownst to Kennedy, the Soviets had tactical nuclear weapons in Cuba and would have destroyed an invading American army. The Soviet field commanders had the authority to use tactical nuclear weapons if necessary. Had the U.S. invaded, World War III most likely would have began. Kennedy's announcement on national TV would shock Americans, and all U.S. forces were put on full alert. For a week, the world watched as a Soviet ship carrying missiles steamed toward Cuba. Any U.S. attack would trigger war between the U.S. and USSR. October 24th, 16 Soviet ships stopped before reaching the blockade line. October 26, Khrushchev agreed to remove the missiles if the U.S. removed its missiles from Turkey and vowed not to attack Cuba. This agreement publicly favored Kennedy as the U.S. quietly pulled its Turkish missiles out six months later. The agreement can also be seen as a victory for Khrushchev. He saved Cuba and got U.S. missiles removed from Turkey. The new spirit of cooperation. Kennedy and Khrushchev realized that they had come dangerously close to nuclear war and now worked to prevent a future war. The Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of July of 1963. It would ban the atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons. Khrushchev refused on-site inspections. This is going to be signed by all major powers except France and China. JFK considered the treaty his greatest achievement. A hotline was installed with 24-hour access between Moscow and Washington. On November 22nd of 1963, JFK was assassinated in Dallas while on a southern tour to drum up support for his policies. Vice President Lyndon Johnson then became president. Lee Harvey Oswald, who was the alleged assassin, was arrested shortly thereafter. Oswald was killed a few days later by Jack Ruby an alleged mafia member, while he was being taken to court. The Warren Commission was created at Johnson's request to further investigate the assassination. I actually have a copy of the uh, the Warren report that was given to me by my aunt because, you know, she was alive back then. Anyway, I digress. The commission concluded that Oswald was the lone assassin. Many people continue to believe decades after the assassination that a sinister conspiracy was behind the assassination. Johnson pledged to continue Kennedy's policies. He's going to ram Kennedy's stalled civil rights and tax cut bills through Congress. Johnson was one of the f- of a few Southern Democrats in favor of civil rights. In 64, a tax cut of about $10 billion is going to help propel an economic boom. In the election of 64, the Democrats would nominate LBJ, or Leonard B. Johnson, on the platform of the Great Society. And it was a sweeping set of New Deal-type economic and welfare, welfare measures that were aimed to transform America. 
The public sentiment was inspired by Michael Harrington's The Other America, which was written in 1962, that showed that 20% of the U.S. population and over 40% of blacks lived in poverty. Republicans nominated Barry Goldwater, who was a senator from Arizona. He attacked the federal income tax, social security system, the TVA, civil rights legislation, nuclear test ban treaty, and the Great Society. He just attacked everything. His views were seen as extreme, even among some Republicans, including his aggressive foreign policy ideas. He is considered by many today as the father of modern conservatism. Ronald Reagan's platform in 1980 was similar to Goldwater's. Now the results. Johnson is going to defeat Goldwater 486 to 52. That's so bad. Anyway, Democrats are going to sweep both houses of Congress with big majorities. Johnson and Congress now had a mandate for the passage of mass of a massive wave of legislation. Much of the Deep South was lost permanently to the Democratic Party. The Great Society. So we're starting the war on poverty. This is going to be after the election of 1964. The Office of Economic Opportunity, or the Equal Opportunity Act, is going to oversee most of the war on poverty programs and the spending of billions of dollars. And Native Americans are going to benefit significantly from the OEO. Congress is going to allocate $1.1 billion to redevelop isolated mountain areas among the Appalachian Range, or Appalachia, where white poverty was rampant. Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965 is going to use over a billion dollars to give elementary and secondary education, largely in areas where poverty existed. And Head Start will be established, and this is uh, preschools for educationally disadvantaged children to prepare, prepare them for elementary school. The Medicare Act of 65, the law provided medical care for the elderly who were not covered by their own medical insurance. The program was popular for millions of Americans being pushed to poverty by skyrocketing medical costs, one of the truly landmark programs created by the Great Society. Funding the program became an issue in the late 20th and early 21st century due to the graying of America, a disproportionate number of retired persons who, you know, relative to the non-retired population. Medicaid, 1965, same too. Uh, this is going to be created part of the Social Security system. It's going to provide medical care for most Americans living in poverty. The program was administered jointly between the federal government and the states. HUD, or the Department of Housing and Urban Development, 1966. They are going to build 240,000 housing units and allocate $2.9 billion for urban renewal. In 66, Robert Weaver, the HUD secretary, became the first African-American cabinet member in U.S. history. Immigration Act of 65. Now, it's going to discontinue the, nation, the, the nat, uh, sorry, national origins system of the 1920s. Immigrant, immigration was now based on a first-come, first-served basis. Immigrants with families already in the U, uh, U.S. had precedence. Admission was also based on things such as skills and political asylum. Artists, science and scientists, and political refugees were given preference. The act more than doubled the number of immigrants coming in each year, mostly from Latin America and Asia. And by 2000, the largest non-white group in America was Latino. Consumer protection laws. These would include full disclosure of the cost of credit when borrowing money and regulating use of harmful ke uh, chemicals in food. Culture. All right, Johnson believed that the federal government had a role to play in bringing high culture and educational programming to the masses. So you had the National Endowment for the Arts, or the NEA, and its job was to bring opera, Broadway musicals, symphony perfor performances, and other what was considered to be high culture to America's 
Americans, Americans via to te- via television programming. The arts receive federal funding for the creation of numerous works. You've probably seen like every once in a while you may see a commercial like uh, that that talks about the National Endowment for the for the Arts. All right, the National Endow- Endowment for the Humanities, the NEH is going to. Pr- provided funds for the creation of educational programming and documentaries. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the CPD, was created to make high-quality educational program available to everyone. So think PBS. So this is, you know, where kids watch Sesame Street. I know I did. Uh, Conservatives argued that the federal government was exceeding its authority by funding such programs. Let's just think about this. Education for all, people. Education for all. Anyway, triumph of civil the, of civil rights. This is going to be part of the Great Society. The 24th Amendment, which was passed in 64, is going to abolish the poll taxes in federal elections. So, yay. All right, the Civil Rights Act of 64. Johnson's skill with Congress got Ken, uh, Kennedy's bill passed. Now, the provisions. It will, it will forbid segregation in hotels, motels, restaurants, theaters, and sporting arenas that did business in interstate commerce. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was created to enforce this law. It would uh, also relieve individuals of responsibility for bringing discrimination complaints to court themselves. The federal government was now responsible. It also would eliminate the remaining restrictions on black voting. Title Seven. So this was the discrimination based on race, religion, gender, and national origin in the workplace was now illegal. Now the result of all of this is most businesses in the south and the uh, southern cities and larger towns desegregated immediately. Voting Rights Act of 65. The existing legislation still did not enforce the 15th Amendment. So you had your march from Selma to Montgomery in March of 65. Only 383 of 15,000 blacks were registered to vote in Selma, Alabama. After two marches that re- uh, resulted in beatings, arrests, and one murder, civil rights leaders in Selma announced a climactic protest march from Selma to Montgomery with federal protection in late March. In response, on March 15th, Johnson promised on TV to send a bill to Congress that would extend voting rights to African Americans in the Deep South. Now, the provisions for this, literacy tests were unlawful if less than 50% of all voting age citizens were registered. If so, African Americans could be enrolled whether or not they could read. If local registrars could not enroll African Americans, the president could send federal examiners who would, and this gave teeth to the Civil Rights Act of 64. Now, the results of this were 740,000 blacks were registered to vote within three years. Hundreds of blacks were elected to office by the late 1960s in the Deep South. Blacks were no longer who no, sorry, no longer feared white reprisals during elections. Southern whites now began courting black votes and businesses. And for the first time since Reconstruction, African Americans migrated into the South. All right, affirmative action. Johnson is going to sign an executive order in 65 that will require employers on federal contracts to take affirmative action to ensure underprivileged minorities and women were hired. Now, the purpose was to give preference to minorities to make up for past discrimination. President Nixon later furthered affirmative action with the Philadelphia Plan. Countless American corporations that did business with the government, colleges, and universities that received federal scholarship and research funding became obligated to meet these guidelines. Now, the result... Uh, black, Asian, and Hispanic enrollment in universities is going to increase. Women are going to benefit significantly in the workplace. In the 1970s, it saw cries of reverse discrimination as the economy declined and whites faced increased competition for jobs or were denied promotions or college admission due to affirmative action. 
the Bake case, and it's B-A-K-K-E, of 1978. The Supreme Court ruled that Alan Bake, a white student, was unfairly turned down to medical school at UC Davis because of admissions programs that favored minorities. The court declared preference in admissions could not be given to members of any group based on ethnic or racial identity alone. Only if the minority applicant was equally qualified could race be used as a plus factor. Affirmative action was weakened by the Supreme Court in the late 1980s and 1990s. In 1967, Johnson appointed Thurgood Marshall as the first African-American to the Supreme Court. Marshall was the was most famous for his victory in Brown versus Board of Education. Forced busing. In 68, the Supreme Court ordered the end of de facto segregation of the nation's schools. The court ordered school districts to bus children from all minority neighborhoods in the inner cities to achieve integration of schools. The issue became controversial with middle-class suburban whites in the early 1970s and into the 1990s. The African-American Civil Rights Movement in Retrospect. Uh, the years between 54 and 68 can be seen as the second reconstruction. So the quest for equality before the law was largely achieved. Other minorities, uh, women, Native Americans, Hispanics, and the LGBTQIA plus community uh, looked to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s as a model for their own efforts. Rise of black power and racial violence. Not all African Americans agreed with Martin Luther King's nonviolent movement. As the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65 were passed, King's ideas seemed obsolete to many young blacks. Many questioned whether it was a good idea for blacks to try to integrate with whites. Blacks still continued to experience poverty and discrimination in the nation's inner cities and cried out against police brutality. So, black separatism. It called for the separation of the races in America by occupying an exclusive area of land in the U.S. supplied by the federal government. Separatism was the opposite of integration. It was inspired by Marcus Garvey, who was a leader during the Harlem Renaissance who had advocated the Back to Africa movement. The Nation of Islam, which was the black Muslim movement, was the most notable and well-organized of the black separatist groups. Malcolm X. He was the most vocal and brilliant orator of the Nation of Islam. He preached religious justification for black separation or separatism, and the furthering of black rights through any means necessary. He advocated the use of weapons for self-defense, believing nonviolence encouraged white violence. Many in the white community were alarmed. His views softened after his pilgrim to, pilgrimage to Mecca in 65, and he soon left the Nation of Islam. In February of 65, he was assassinated by three members of the Nation of Islam. He never supported King's nonviolent method. The white people should thank Dr. King for holding black people in check. Uh, Malcolm X's ideas became the foundation for the black power movement later in the decade. SNCC and Stokely Carmichael. He was influenced by the ideas of Malcolm X and became chairman of the SNCC in the mid-1960s. In 66, CORE and SNCC called for civil rights movements to be staffed, controlled, and financed by blacks, thus rejecting interracial co uh, cooperation. Black nationalism replaced integration as the goal. Black power was advocated by Carmichael, although its meaning was interpreted differently among various groups. The first popular use of the term was by Carmichael in 66, who decried James Meredith's shooting in the March Against Fear. Essentially, it was an appeal for white, uh, racial pride, black nationalism, and a struggle against perceived white tyranny. Carmichael joined the Black Panthers in the late 1960s. The Black Panther Party. It was based... Sorry, based in Oakland, California, and founded by urban revolutionaries Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. 
It was a revolutionary socialist movement to organize African-American men in northern and western cities to fight for liberation. It had a peak of 10,000 members in 1969. Eldridge Cleaver was editor of the group's newspaper that had a circulation of about 250,000. In effect, the Panthers became a paramilitary organization to protect blacks from white violence. In other words, police brutality. FBI leader J. Edgar Hoover called the group the greatest threat to the internal sec- uh, security of the country and led a successful effort to undermine it. By 1980, it only had 27 members. Violence in the inner city. Poverty, unemployment, and racial discrimination were common in major inner cities despite civil rights victories. The seemingly empty promise of racial equality in the North ignited rage in many African-American communities. The long, hot summers throughout the summer of 65, 66, and 67, racial disorders hit. The Wyatt's riot broke out in Los Angeles uh, from August 11th to the 16th in 65, and it resulted in 34 deaths, over 1,000 injuries, 4,000 arrests, and 1,000 buildings were destroyed, and property losses totaled over $40 million. In 1967, 7,000 were arrested in Detroit. White businesses were targeted, but many black businesses were inadvertently burned. Snipers prevented firefighters from doing their work. During the first nine months of 67, more than 150 cities reported incidents of racial disorders. The Kerner Commissions, and that's K-E-R-N-E-R, was appointed by LBJ to investigate the causes of the riots. Conclusions concerning causes, sorry, Anyway, uh, the frustrated hopes of African Americans would lead to violence. The approval and encouragement of violence both by white terrorists and by black protest protest groups led to more violence. The uh, blacks felt powerless in a society dominated by whites. The commission recommendations were as thus. The elimination of racial barriers in jobs, education, and in housing. A greater public response to to problems of racial minorities, increased communication across racial lines. The assassination of Martin Luther King was April 4th of 1968. King was shot by a sniper, James Earl Ray, while standing on a motel balcony with friends in Memphis. We have been to that hotel. King was in Memphis working to increase wages for Memphis trash collectors who were being paid deplorable wages. Riots broke out around the country in response. The rise of the new left and the counterculture. All right, the impact of the baby boom generation. So in 1950, one million went to college. In 1960, four million. Raised largely in economic security, 75% of college students came from families with income above the national average. Yet the student protest movement only represented a minority of the student population. So you're looking at 10 to 15%. By the mid-1960s, a majority of Americans were under age 30. The new left had decidedly socialist views and many supported Marxist ideas. Universities were viewed by leftist student leaders as bureaucracies indifferent to social needs or student needs. Students for Democratic Society, the SDS, this was led by Tom Hayden, H-A-Y-D-N, who called for participatory democracy in universities where students could exercise increased influence over policies that affected them. The Port Huron Statement of 62 was the manifesto of the movement at the University of Michigan. SDS became more militant during the Vietnam War and organized numerous protests. 
the free speech movement. These are going to be students at UC Berkeley that would start sit-ins in 64 to protest the prohibition of political canvassing on campus. It criticized the impersonal bureaucracy of American society. Police broke up a sit-in in uh, December of 64 and protests spread to other campuses. The counterculture or the, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, like the new left, millions of young people felt alienated by government bureaucracy, uh, materialism, and the Vietnam War. Many youths turned away from politics in favor of an alternative society. Some saw them as the heirs of the beatniks of the late 50s. The hippies, also known as flower children, experimented with Eastern religions, drugs, and sex. Leading spokespeople of the movement included Timothy Leary and Theodore Rozak. Many were involved in urban, urban communes like the Hot Osbury District in San Francisco and other communes that existed in rural areas. Charles Reich wrote The Greening of America in 1970. This was a best-selling book that argued the counterculture was leading the way to a new era in human society focused on personal freedoms, egalitarianism, and drug use for rec recreational purposes. Most hippies were unable to establish a, a sustaining lifestyle. Music of this counterculture. The folk music protest tra uh, tradition began by Woody Guthrie during the Dust Bowl era was taken up by a new generation in the early 60s. This is going to be led by Bob Dylan, Pete Sager, and Joan Baez. The British invasion played a large role in the, the mid-1960s with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Who leading the way. Woodstock Festival in August of 69 is going to represent the apex of the counterculture. And it's going to feature the music of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Santana, and countless others. It was essentially three days of unrestrained drug use and sex. By the early 1970s, the counterculture was shrinking as a result of either its excesses or, or its members re-entering the mainstream. A majority of American youths were not active participants in counterculture. The counterculture introduced a new informality into American culture. This, this informality can be seen in the advent of the personal computer developed by Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, who held, both hailed from the hippie culture. Pop art. It was an uh, ironic commentary on mass culture, culture by using items common in, common in advertising. Andy Warhol. Uh, he became famous for his depiction of such ordinary items as Campbell soup cans and the use of iconic portraits of celebrities through arbitrary color. Roy Lichtenstein used parody through the use of the traditional comic strip. All right, the Warren Court. Chief Justice Oral Warren was appointed to the Supreme Court by President Eisenhower in 53. His court is considered one of the two creative periods in U.S. history. John Marshall is considered to be the leader of the first of the great creative periods. Warren's court stressed personal rights, especially the First Amendment, placing them in a preferred constitutional position. Brown versus Board of Education in 54 is the most important of his court's decisions, and that was the desegregation of public schools. Reapportionment uh, re decision. One person, one vote. The result had been electoral reform shifting voting power from the rural districts to urban-suburban areas. It required states to redraw their voting districts for the U.S. Congress according to population so that each district had roughly the same amount of people. Rights of the accused. So we had Gideon versus Wainwright. Escobedo versus Illinois and Miranda versus Arizona. So Gideon in 63 is, will establish that people accused of a crime have the right to a lawyer, even if they cannot afford one, because this was based off of a uh, homeless man who could not afford his own counsel, so he had to counsel himself and ended up going to jail. Come to find out, he did not do what he was accused of. Uh, Escobedo in 64, it was ruled that one has the right to a lawyer from the time of arrest or when one becomes the subject of a criminal investigation. 
Uh, Miranda in 66, it required that accused people be informed of their right to a lawyer and their right not to testify against themselves. So that's where you get your Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, yada, yada, yada. Uh, school prayer in 62, Angle versus Vitale, banned school prayer and religious exercises in public schools, claiming that it violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment that said that we cannot have a uh, national religion. There is no national religion. Birth control in 65. Griswold versus Connecticut will declare that bans on contraception by state were unconstitutional. The court ruled that the Constitution protects the right to privacy. All right, so women's rights and the sexual revolution. All right, so the sexual revolution. The birth control pill and antibiotics encouraged freer sexual practices beginning in the early 1960. Promise, uh, Promiscuity increased among younger Americans, especially as counterculture took effect. It challenged the traditional values of premarital sex as taboo. Eleanor Roosevelt's Commission on the Status of Women from 61 to 63. It highlighted inequalities women faced and it endorsed improvements in education, equal employment, child care, and governmental opportunities for women. Betty Friedan, F-R-I-E-D-A-N, she did... She wrote uh, The uh, Feminine Mystique in 63, and it's considered to be a classic of women's protest literature. She criticized the plight of women with domestic duties, or the cult of domesticity that we've talked about, who also had to work full-time at jobs that paid women less than men. With other feminists, she founded the National Organization for Women, or NOW, in 66. It called for equal employment opportunities and equal pay. It argued for changes in divorce laws to make settlements more fair to women. It sought legalization for abortion and that was the most controversial issue and in 67 it began advocating for an era or the equal rights amendment to the constitution extending the same guarantees contained in the 14th amendment for racial and religious minorities alice paul had introduced this idea all the way back in 23 it passed congress in 72 but failed by the early 1980s to get the required 38 states necessary for ratification the movement was limited to middle class women while broader-based pro-life groups argued against it. They feared the ERA would deny them rights to financial support in case of, di- of divorce or would end special treatment women had received in, in the way of protective courtesies in male-dominated society. The conservative opposition was spearheaded by Phyllis Shellafly. All right, gains. In 1972, the federal government required colleges receiving federal funds to establish affirmative action programs for women to ensure equal opportunity. Several corporations were forced to provide back wages to female employees who had not received equal pay for equal work. Firms also had to abolish hiring and promotion practices that discriminated against women. Roe v. Wade in 73. This is going to legalize abortion in all states. Perhaps the most important Supreme Court decision of the last 50 years as it hardened the division between liberals and conservatives. So it made the states determine the legality of abortion. Women experienced more inclusion in the military. Uh, your Title IX guaranteed equal access for girls to programs boys benefited from, so high school and college sports programs. Miss Magazine became the women's liberation movement's most influential publication. It began in 72. Gloria Steinman was the magazine's founding publisher.
Women began breaking important barriers in the 1980s. Sally Ride was the first female astronaut. Sandra Day O'Connor was the first female Supreme Court justice and was appointed by President Ronald Reagan. And Geraldine Ferraro was the first woman in 84 to be on a presidential ticket. She was the Democratic vice presidential candidate. Now, other minorities fight for rights. The Latinos... Uh, so the Mexican Americans, uh, Cesar Chavez led the United Farmer Farm Workers Organization Committee, or the UFWOC, and succeeded in gaining improved work conditions for mostly Chican- uh, Chicano agricultural workers. And these are Mexican Americans. Uh, since the 1970s, a number of Mexican Americans were elected to prominent political positions. Indigenous or Native Americans, the Occupy Alcatraz movement. Now, between November of 69 and June of 71, a group of indigenous and their supporters occupied Alcatraz, hoping to gain the island for a Native Studies Center. The effort drew international attention for indigenous causes and inspired numerous incidents of civil disobedience, including the seizure of the BIA and wounded knee. The American Indian Movement, or AIM, was founded in 68. AIM seized the Indian Bureau in Washington in 72, protesting desperate conditions in reservations like unemployment and illiteracy. In, 17, er, in, 17, in 73, uh, militant indigenous lead, led by leaders of AIM and the Ulaga, Uglala, sorry, Uglala Sioux occupied Wounded Knee, South Dakota. They held it for two months and gained national publicity. Several indigenous died and 300 were arrested. Excuse me. The leaders of the uprising were ultimately acquitted. The crisis eventually led to indigenous gaining lost fishing rights and receiving millions of dollars in payments for lands taken earlier in U.S. history. Gay and lesbian activists. It emerged in the late 60s and used civil rights laws to win discrimination cases. The movement began with the incident at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, New York City, where police officers arrested gay patrons on patrons patrons on June 28th of 69, and riots ensued. Uh, yeah. Okay. So LBJ. His legacy. Now, few presidents had shown more compassion for the poor, the uh, ill-educated, and minorities. The achievements of the first three years compared with the successes of the New Deal. Poverty rates declined measurably in the new decade. Medicare dramatically reduced poverty among Americans' elderly. Anti-poverty programs like Head Start significantly improved the educational performance of underprivileged youth. And the infant mortality rates fell in minority communities as general health conditions improved. No president since Lincoln had worked harder or done more for civil rights and equality. The Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65 served to reverse the failure of Reconstruction to enforce the 14th and 15th Amendments. And the Immigration Act of 65 affirmative action and the presidential appointments helped as well. The Great Society programs were heavily criticized by conservatives in subsequent years. Most programs were extremely costly and eventually required increased taxes to fund them. They accused the Great Society as social engineering that could not be solved simply by allocating billions of dollars. Many accused the Great Society as having taken the country in a socialist direction. The Vietnam War siphoned off much of the energy of the Great Society. Inflation racked the Great Society programs. The war on poverty eventually went down in defeat. And Johnson's handling of the war caused the turbulence that characterized the 1960s and led to America's skepticism over its government. So into the Vietnam War itself. Which is where I'm going to stop. So this is you will have two podcasts for this one. 
So carrying on. So the Vietnam War. France is going to lose control of Vietnam after the Battle of uh, Dai Bien Phu in 54. Uh, Ho Chi Minh is going to lead the communists in North Vietnam, known as the Viet Minh. Sorry. The U.S. by 54 had financed about 80% of France's war effort in the Geneva Convention in 54, which was an agreement temporarily divided Vietnam into North and South along the 17th parallel until a 56 unifying election would determine the nation's fate. Ho Chi Minh accepted the agreement based on assurances that the Vietnam-wide elections would occur within two years. President Eisenhower refused to sign the Geneva Agreement. agreement. In the South, a pro-Western government on Ying Dang Diem took control in Saigon, supported by the U.S. Eisenhower promised economic and military aid to Yao's regime in return for social reforms. The domino theory. It determined Eisenhower's policy in Southeast Asia in the 1950s and continued to dictate U.S. policy in the 1960s. The U.S. believed if one country in Indochina fell to communism, others surrounding countries would also fall one right after the other, like dominoes. Dominoes. It pertained to Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, and Burma. Vietnam Civil War. All right. Young was a nationalist and was fiercely anti-communist, but he was an aloof and aristocratic Catholic autocrat who ruled over a nation of poor Buddhist peasants. His reforms were slow to take shape, and most resources went to the military. The Viet Cong were communist insurgents in the South, supported by Ho Chi Minh and the Viet Minh in the North. It was officially known as the N. LF, or the National Liberation Front. It gained support from China and the Soviet Union, and it promised economic reform, reunification with the North, and genuine independence. So it sought to remove Nyan's pro-American government from power. The NFL assassinated 2,000 government officials during 1960, and a civil war would result from this. Kennedy in Vietnam. All right, Kennedy had to choose between abandoning Nyan or uh, deepening U.S. involvement in Vietnam. He increased U.S. military advisors from 652 to 16,000. His goal was to strengthen South Vietnam's army with U.S. technology, and he hoped to pressure Nyong into making necessary reforms. All right, the fall of Nyong Dinh Diem. A Buddhist monk set himself on fire to protest his regime, or this is called uh, self-immolation, and these photos would change world opinion overnight. In 63, South Vietnamese uh, generals overthrew Nguyen. This was tactically supported by the U.S. due to his corruption. Three weeks later, JFK was assassinated, and the question of whether or not Kennedy would have pulled out of Vietnam still remains unanswered. Johnson's War Regarding Vietnam, Johnson said, I am not going to be the president who saw Southeast Asia go the way China went. President Johnson kept most of Kennedy's cabinet, including Den Rusk, the Secretary of State, who was a major proponent of the domino theory, Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense, and in effect, he was the architect of the U.S. escalation policy in Vietnam. The Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, T-O-N-K-A-N, of 64. This would represent the beginning of the Vietnam War for the U.S. In early early August of 64, Johnson would announce that North Vietnamese torpedo boats had attacked two U.S. destroyers in international waters off the coast of North Vietnam in the Gulf of Tonkin. Johnson told Congress that the attacks were unprovoked. Congress almost unanimously passed the Gulf of Tonkin. The uh, resolution in response 
<clears throat> it gave Johnson more authority to widen the war effort without waiting for Congress to declare war. Years later, it became known as the known that the U.S. ships were helping South Vietnamese commandos raid North Vietnamese islands, and the, the attack on the U.S. ships were not unprovoked. Johnson ordered a limited retaliatory, retaliatory air raid against North Vietnamese air bases, stating he sought no wider war. LBJ used this episode effectively during the 64 presidential campaign. His major error was using the Gulf of Tonkin resolution to justify his widening of the war without seeking congressional and popular approval. He sought to protect his great society programs by keeping the war's decision-making secretive. His lack of trust in the Joint Chiefs of Staff after the Cuban Missile Crisis meant top military officials were not part of the war policies process. Escalation. As the situation unraveled, the, U the initial U.S. objection or objective of South Vietnam stabilization was no longer viable. Vietnam became what was known as a quagmire. The U.S. military demanded more bombing and escalation. The key cabinet officials advised escalation as well, and Ike also. The domino theory was continually cited by U.S. officials. February of 65, the U.S. base at Pleiku was attacked. Eight Americans died, and over 100 were injured. In response, LBJ made the fatal decision to escalate the war on March 2nd of 65. Operation Rolling Thunder. The U.S. This was the U.S. response to Bleku. LBJ ordered the first bombing of North Vietnam, which went on nonstop for three years. Bombing was aimed at bases, roads, and railways. It also targeted the Ho Chi Minh Trail, a network of trails along which soldiers and supplies flowed from North Vietnam through Cambodia and Laos into South Vietnam. Raids failed to cut off North, North Vietnamese aid to the Viet Cong, and South Vietnam still suffered heavy losses from the Viet Cong. The escalation of U.S. troop levels. So, in 1965, we were looking at about 184,066, 385,067, 485,000. And by 1968, 538,000 troops. The increases in U.S. troops were matched by increased numbers of Viet, uh, Viet Minh soldiers fighting with the Viet Cong and increased aid from the USSR and China. It was like here. It's like for, like for every raise, they matched us. Initially, U.S. forces were falsely optimistic about a short, successful war effort. The tenacity and devotion of the Viet Cong and Viet Minh was greatly underestimated by the U.S. Ho Chi Minh had earlier warned the French before Den Ben Phu, You can kill ten of my men to one of yours, but even at those odds, you will lose and I will win. U.S. forces in Vietnam were led by General William C. Westmoreland. Fighting the Vietnam War. The air war. Airstrikes were preferred because it cost less U.S. lives. By 67, the U.S. had dropped more bombs on Vietnam than the Allies dropped during all of World War II. The Viet Cong dug 30,000 miles of tunnels to ship supplies and escape bombing. To flush out the enemy, napalm was used to burn out heavy jungle areas where the Viet Cong and the Viet Minh operated. Agent Orange was used as a defoliant to kill jungle vegetation, but many U.S. soldiers were exposed and later developed cancer from this Agent Orange. Right, the ground war. Search and destroy missions all, uh, against guerrilla tactics were common. Westmoreland constantly demanded more troops. Just finding the enemy, or Charlie, as they were called, was difficult. U.S. soldiers dealt with dense, humid, hot, hostile 
jungle terrain. Viet Cong knew the terrain and had much better peasant support. Pacification programs, so villages were uprooted by the U.S. forces and rural southern Vietnamese people were moved to cities. The average age of a U.S. soldier in Vietnam <coughs> sorry, was 19 while it was 26 in World War II. The Tet Offensive of 68. Westmoreland and other officials had been claiming that the war's end was coming into view. Tet New Year, which was January 30th of 68, was a massive had a massive coordinated strike by the North Vietnam, which surprised U.S. forces. 67,000 Viet Cong attacked 100 cities, bases, and the U.S. Embassy. The offensive lasted approximately one month, with thousands of casualties occurring on both sides. The Tet Offensive was not militarily successful for North Vietnam, but psychologically destroyed American hopes of winning the war, and it represented the beginning of the end of U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Critics of U.S. policy, the new left, massive student anti-war protest would focus on ending the Vietnam War. Many of these protests occurred at university campuses as the students for, for the, uh, as the students for a democratic society or that SDS, which, talk, which we talked about earlier, became more militant and used violence and turned to Marxism for its ideology. The new left lost political influence after it abandoned its original commitment to, to democracy and nonviolence. The anti-war movement. It began with the 1965 bombing escalation, and it greatly grew thereafter. Anti-war groups, including Students for Democratic Society, religious groups, anti-nuclear weapons groups, women and civil rights groups, including MLK. Uh, the draft was perhaps the biggest cause for protest. Small campus teach-ins in 65 escalated to enormous public protest. New York and San Francisco saw hundreds of thousands of marchers yelling, Hell no, we won't go, and hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Draft numbers increased from 5,000 per month in 65 to 50,000 per month in 67. The poor were twice as likely to be drafted than the middle class who used college deferments to avoid the draft. A lottery system was instituted in 70 that was fairer. Thousands of draft dodgers fled to Canada. Others burned their draft cards. Millions of Americans felt the pinch of war-induced inflation. The press. Technology allowed Vietnam to be brought into America's living rooms with very little censoring of the press. After the Tet Offensive, the U.S. media grew increasingly critical. Editorials in Newsweek, Time, and the Wall Street Journal called for a negotiated settlement. Body counts of total enemy kills had been used to show the U.S. was killing far more Viet Cong and Viet Minh. However, body counts did not account for guerrilla war, although Mac Mac uh, McNamara defended them since the U.S. was fighting a war of attrition. Public support for the war eventually plunged to 26%. Hawks and doves er uh, argued over the U.S. role in Vietnam. All right, so the Hawks, they defended the president's policy and drew on Truman's containment policy, while the Doves claimed the conflict was a civil war in which the U.S. should not get involved. They argued South Vietnam's government was not democratic. They opposed large-scale bombings, chemical weapons, and killing of civilians. And they rejected the domino theory, pointing out the increased losses of American lives and the economic cost of the war. Most Americans were neither hawks nor doves, but were disturbed by the unsuccessful war and the protests. The Tet Offensive changed public opinion dramatically. Hawks decreased from 62% to 22% of public opinion from January of 68 to Dece or March of 68. 
so pretty quickly, while the doves increased from 22 to 42. Democratic Party challenges for the 1968 nomination. Johnson's popularity would drop to 36% by 1968. Eugene McCarthy, who was a liberal from Minnesota, ran, as an anti ran an anti-war campaign in New Hampshire and nearly got half the vote. Robert Kennedy also launched an anti-war-based campaign. On March 31st, Johnson announced that he would not seek another turn. Tet, McCarthy, and Kennedy contributed to LBJ's decision. Vietnam had claimed the presidency. Robert Kennedy was assassinated in June after winning the California Democratic primary. The assassin was a Palestinian, Palestinian named Sarah Sarah. The election of 68. All right, so the nominees, the Democrats, Vice President Herbert Humphrey won the nomination. Meanwhile, a riot occurred outside the Democratic National Convention in Chicago between police and anti-war activists. The nation and world watched as a riot was televised. Republicans nominated Richard M. Nixon. Now, Nixon had what he called his Southern strategy. Nixon courted conservative Southern Democrats who were disgusted with civil rights and the anti-war protests. Spiro Agnew was uh, Nixon's vice presidential running mate, an appointment aimed to appeal to Southern votes. Agnew had been tough on African Americans and dissidents in his state of Maryland. Nixon was committed to continuing the war until the enemy settled for an honorable peace similar to Humphrey's position. George Wallace of Alabama ran a, a strong third-party campaign as head of the American Independent Party. He appealed to the fears generated by the war protesters and big government policies of the Great Society. As a former segregationist governor from Alabama, he appealed to Southerners with racist ideologies. As a law and order advocate, he gained support in some northern states. He advocated bombing North Vietnam back to the Stone Age, similar to Goldwater's position in 1964. Now, the result, uh, Nixon would defeat Humphrey by only 1% of the popular vote, but by 301 to 191 electoral votes. He earned less than 50% of the popular vote. Congress remained uh, Democratic as the Democrats got 95% of the African-American vote. Nixon became a minority president with no clear mandate. He owed his victory to the divisions caused by the war and the protests against the unfair draft, crime, and rioting. 1968, the year of shocks. It was a hinge year of the 20th century because so, you had the Tet Offense. You had Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination and Robert Kennedy's assassination. There was a riot outside the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Nixon's victory ushered in an era of political conservatism. And Stockley Carmichael became the leader of the Black Panthers and urged the exclusion of whites in the Black Liberation Movement. <clears throat> Now, your terms to know for this one are obviously going to be extensive. Uh, a couple of things that you need to be thinking about as far as like essay points, uh, kind of analyze the impact of America's youth on politics, society, and culture in the 60s. And it would be a good idea to look at this one. To what extent was Lyndon Johnson successful in ach achieving his goals in the great society? Because you can look at his and JFK's uh, Cold War objectives as well.